It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time in the queue. It's over! It's over! The 52 years is over! The Cavaliers have won the NBA Championship! Cleveland! This is for you! Mitchell goes to the basket and buries Cornette! Garland high steps over the timeline, stumps on a dime, hits the three! Darius Garland has been unreal here in the fourth quarter. Jack clock down to five. Lillard blocked by Mobley. Oh, my. Take his home. Challenge Dallas and Allen Sicko. Get that big step out of here. <laughs> the shoot around. Welcome to the show, everybody. Since we last chatted, the Cavs have finished off their Western Conference road trip winning two and losing three. They came from behind to beat the Portland Trailblazers 119-113, to played down to the Minnesota Timberwolves 102-110, to and then, thankfully, got yet another come-from-behind win, this time against the New Orleans Pelicans 113-103. to Coming home for that last one was desperately needed. Beating the Pelicans without Donovan Mitchell was surprising, but come on, how about it, Colin? Did you ever think the team would get a come-from-behind victory without him this year? I would say not with their recent performances, Adam. But fortunately, Mobley, Allen, and Garland all stepped up in very big ways. We will get into the game some more, but I think it was a bit of a litmus test for how the team can perform without constantly relying on Mitchell and to hopefully bring the rest of the roster along and not relying on him so much. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow us on the podcast player of your choice. We are also adding extra content to our YouTube channel, so please subscribe. And be sure to leave us a comment. We'd love for you to engage with the pod. Mark Stein has reported that the Cavs are targeting Utah Jazz wing Malik Beasley. They've weighed pursuing a three-way trade scenario that would land the Atlanta Hawks' John Collins with the Utah Jazz, bringing Beasley to Cleveland. The Jazz have long held interest in Collins, but to this point have given the Hawks pause by seeking additional draft compensation for taking him on. Since Collins still has three seasons left on his five-year, $125 million contract after this season, so Karis LeVert's $18.8 million expiring contract is the Cavaliers' most obvious trade ship here, if they choose to do this. Yay or nay on these rumors, Colin? I would say yay that these are rumors. I think that you and I both agree that Karras is more than likely going to get moved during this trade deadline. That $18.8 million is kind of a perfect amount for a lot of teams to move off of salaries like what you just stated with Collins's money or for other teams to package some type of pick scenario and again Karras's contract fits perfectly into other teams plans and as far as the Cavs are concerned he's only played so-so for them he hasn't really been a huge spark plug off the bench and as of right now Isaac Okoro is starting over him I loved your your answer of yay it's a rumor yeah sure it is (laughs) It's interesting, you know, a lot of the time these things are floated by the organization. And sometimes I think it's even goes as far to see what the fan base might respond to. 
But I don't think that's this uh, instance. I think for the most part, this is sadly possible. But mm -hmm. it's because there's not a lot of options right now in the NBA mm -hmm. to pick up what we're looking for. And a guy that's yeah. underperforming in three-pointers this year, you kind of just hope that it has more to do with circumstance in his current position rather than his overall ability moving forward. And looking at his yeah. stat lines, I think this is just an off year for him, and most likely it's because the looks just are not coming very cleanly. So, yeah. and Utah obviously is uh, you know up and down. This one week they look good, the next week they're they look like the rebuilding team that they are. So, I don't know. I'm not for this, but at the same time, I'm not for Kara staying on the team. So, if this is the mm -hmm. best option that we have to move him and get what the Cavs think they need. I'm going to say this for maybe the first and only time I'll ever say it. Altman has bought some leeway with me by going for Mitchell. He can trade for whoever he wants. <laughs> like, I just... Yeah. Go for yeah. it, man. Go for it. Karras was yeah. a desperate attempt in a moment when we were trying to salvage the season last year. And it's never really worked out. And, you know, he, he'll do better somewhere else. So it's probably best to move on from him. So maybe this is true. Either way, it's just, it, if anything, it just goes to show what we've been talking about, which is that Karras will be moved soon, like you said. Yeah, the last little nugget I'll add is the Jazz and the Cavs have a really good relationship. And I think this is probably a little bit of Mark Stein putting the feelers out there to see if he can get either organization to show their hand around the trade deadline because everybody knows that Altman and uh, gets along with the Jazz's uh, GM. So I think that the, it, it's maybe some reporters trying to catch some, some uh, trade bait fodder that's a little more substantial in, in regard to another player. The Cavs just beat the Pelicans at home. This was the team's ninth win of the season when trailing opponents heading into the fourth quarter. On top of this, they did it without Mitchell, who had a strained left groin. How does this team keep closing out games late, and was this the most impressive come-from-behind win yet? It was impressive in the sense that they lost Mitchell, as we mentioned at the top with his injury, and we'll get into that even more later in the episode. And so the rest of the squad needed to step up and a guy that you and I pointed to in our last episode was Darius. Darius finally showed us who he is in a long stretch of not performing well and put up 30 huge points. Five of his buckets were from beyond the three and he looked dialed in. I mean some of the threes he was making he was completely off balance and you could just tell that he his confidence was soaring then Allen added 24 points and 11 rebounds and five assists I knew the team was in pretty good shape even in the first half and later in the game because Allen looked like Allen and Mobley looked like they had a really good rapport going on in this game they had a lot of great passing uh, between each other and then also dishing it out to the wings when the paint was getting clogged up too much 
And the last person I'll just reiterate is Mobley really finished a lot of plays offensively. When he was getting the ball in his hands, he was taking smart shots and really taking advantage of smaller players on the floor for the Pelicans and getting sure buckets for the Cavs. So I'm am impressed overall with the how the rest of this team responded to Donovan going down. And I'm just completely always amazed at how the fourth quarter is when they turn it on. It makes for viewing to be a little hectic because you're you're doing a lot of nail biting. But I'm kind of seeing now that this is part of the team's DNA. Was this the most impressive win for you, Adam? Or what else were you seeing in these teams, in the players' performances? Well, all great points. Obviously, it was refreshing to see the Cavaliers finally win a game without Mitchell having to be out there to do it for them. We saw it in a previous game against the Suns when... He didn't come in until about six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they built a decent lead without him in there. Mm -hmm. And that was really great, too. So we've seen a couple of games recently where the team is figuring out how to play with him in there all the time. And that's good because we'll get into it in a little bit, but he's injured, as was stated, and that's because he's being overworked. He had a similar issue in Utah with injury. And so, you know, for the rest of the way, the Cavs need to start playing more as a cohesive team to give him more rest. And Mm -hmm. it can't just be nights when they decide to rest him completely. It's got to be that they build those leads without having to do it in the fourth quarter. You know, that's going to be a big thing moving forward. I really hope that moving forward, they can keep the fourth quarter come from behind mentality that they've been able to build in such a short time frame this season. This is the kind of thing that you want to see a team do so that when they make it into the playoffs, they've got a better chance of making it all the way, getting all the way to the finals Mm -hmm. and eventually winning because a lot of the time these games are going to go six or seven. So not just the fourth quarters are when you win it, but just the longevity of grinding it out. And that's what this team shows, that they will grind it out. But mm-hmm. for the rest of the year, their life mission should be to build a lead by halftime that is mm-hmm. fairly difficult to, to come back from. So that mm-hmm. by the fourth quarter, most of their main guys are rested. That just has to start being because this this team is too injury-prone historically recently to have them continue to play with their best guys constantly having to be the answer. Mm-hmm. So it, it was extremely refreshing to have them win a game without Mitchell pulling them onto his back. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. fact that, as you said, Garland it showed, flashed, what he's capable of, what we saw many times last season, and what I think this season he's had a hard time getting into a groove to to just kind of consistently bring out, which is that he's also a stud in this league. He can lead this team to victory. He can be a 30-point guy on certain nights when we need him to be. He's also not selfish. I love this year that he's averaging 10 assists or more. Mm-hmm. You know, um, He doesn't need to be doing that. He could, he could be thinking, well, I should be shooting more to keep up with Mitchell. And 
for all the ways that we've picked on him this year, I think that he's he's done a good job of um, of quietly managing things. And now that game was great to see him say, "Okay, I can also win it for us too." Fourteen yeah. points of his thirty in the in the fourth quarter. You know that's what leaders in this league do. Yeah, I also think that it helped that Isaac Okoro was really solid in this game. I and mean, he shot 50% from three. Granted, it was just two of four. But he not only did that, he was attacking the rim. And that allows Darius to operate in a more, in a better manner for himself to conduct this team on the offense. Because when Isaac is performing at just a solid level offensively for this squad, Darius can all of a sudden unlock the rest of the team's potential because he knows what is expected of him, so Darius can trust him better. And so you see that on the floor. We don't need Isaac Okoro to score 20 points a night, 30 points a night. It would be nice, but we don't need him to do that. We need him to come in and hit big shots in key moments that bring the team back or keep mm-hmm. a lead you know that's all we need him to do yeah. and that's what he did against the pelicans he came in and hit some big shots when we needed him to and please isaac continue on that path oh that's and also the lockdown defense is amazing i mean he really made well, yeah. mccollum um, he made mccollum get a technical because isaac right. was playing him so well thank you for mentioning that i almost forgot yes that was <laughs> that was beautiful but we've always praised Isaac's defense on this yeah. podcast. It's unfortunate yeah. that you cannot get by in this league anymore with just one side of the ball being your bread and butter, mm-hmm. especially, especially sadly, just the defense. You cannot mm-hmm. survive on just that alone anymore. As we mentioned in question one, Mitchell has a groin strain. He missed Wednesday's practice, and there is a big chance he will miss the game against the Grizzlies. How concerned are you if he misses more than one game? Does the team rely on him too much? Well, this season, after 40 games, he is averaging 36 minutes, 28.4 points, 48.4% from the field, 39.5% from three. His his numbers are pretty much steady after that. What he normally does, his rebounds are a little lower, but he's got some tall trees on this team. He doesn't need to go after rebounds as much yeah i would say from the eye test of stats and what i see most nights he's out there a lot we're relying on him a lot we talked about it just in question one that most nights if he's not the main guy out on the floor inspiring the guys around him they're not gonna win Mm -hmm. so it's it's been great to see it because in a very short period of time, he, we mentioned in a recent podcast, he answered the big question of will this team follow him when he attempts to lead them? And uh, it didn't take very long, just like maybe two games, you know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. they lost yeah. Garland uh, by game two. They were right there going, okay, Mitchell, show us what you got. And he just started showing them that he knows how to win. Mm hmm. So it's going to be difficult to see him miss any kind of time. Now, looking at his stats from his career, I would expect he's going to miss time. Mm-hmm. He's not as injury-prone as Kevin Love, 
but he does miss 15, 20 games a year sometimes. And mm-hmm. I think that's mostly due to overuse. He's always been a stud. Now, some of it is how he chooses to attack the rim and then you know you can't always say conditioning he's got it seems like a lingering groin problem or Mm -hmm. a lower extremity issue that seems to be a lot of the time what his injuries have been in the past so just like lebron james when he did go down it was cramps things like that Mm -hmm. it's gonna happen these guys are human and you cannot rely on them playing every game every night because that's just not the way the game is played anymore. So back around to the beginning of the question, I'm not concerned about him missing more than one game because I'm not concerned about this season at all. Mm -hmm. I I don't really know what bar we have to get over to say that it's a successful season. I suppose it's getting into maybe the second round of the playoffs Mm-hmm. Or at least the, at least the first round, since we couldn't make it all the way last year into that. But there's so much talent on this team; it's tough to imagine bouncing after the first round, you know. Mm-hmm. So overall, I would say, I, but I'm not worried about him lo- missing substantial amounts of time because we've got a lot of talent, and overall, it's not a season that is supposed to be win or go home, you know. Next year, the year after that, the pressure is going to start to mount. And we're going to need to start to see more results. But this year, like Altman said at the beginning, the first presser, this is about growth and maturation mm-hmm. together. And, and that's what we're seeing firsthand. They've got to learn to play without him again. That's just as valuable as playing with him. I think the team relies on Mitchell the right amount. Yes, there are nights that he plays more minutes than anyone else. He is the catalyst on offense. And even at times the catalyst on defense. But when Garland went out, like you mentioned, all of a sudden JB had to reconfigure his entire game plan again. After bringing in Mitchell, he was like, oh, I'm going to have these two all-star guards in my backcourt. Oh, wait, no, I have one now. And their two-guard situation is in flux because Karras and Okoro have been okay. But I think that the team has had to rely on Donovan a lot. And that's why a lot of folks would say that he's having an MVP caliber season. Do I think this injury or some of these nagging injuries, do I think that they could help the team on some level? As you mentioned, like, I I kind of agree with that where the team does need to find out who they are without Donovan on the floor. He clearly has the confidence in this squad. We saw that right away. He puts his trust in all of the players on this team. You know, he really has a connection with all these players. And even against the Pelicans, he was standing up and and clapping when uh, the team came back in the fourth quarter because he was so excited and genuinely happy for how well the team was performing, even though he wasn't on the floor. So I think it's kind of a good thing if JB does have to kind of pull up a little bit and let Donovan rest some nights or not push him into over 35 minutes because 
Evan Mobley and Allen and Garland all need to perform at a higher level. I think they've all been pretty good, but Allen and Garland, who were All-Stars last year, are not at the same All-Star level as they were last year. I'm not trying to say that the team isn't doing well. It's just that, that they're not as far along as they were last year in that regard, those individual players. So overall, I think the team has relied on him the right amount. And then hopefully now that Rubio's back and maybe they make a trade at the deadline, the team as a group will be able to help Donovan not have to play over 38 minutes or 40 minutes just to get a win. The final seconds. Joe Varden of The Athletics said that he would trade Mobley for LeBron, doubling down on the idea of trying to get a championship now over building a long-term contender. So Adam, would you do it? Would you mortgage the team's future for one more championship? Again? I don't know how to answer this question and be polite, but I'll try. You know, I'm almost, I'm almost 40, so, you know, I, I'm certainly not as brutal as I used to be in my opinions, but, oh boy. Um, you know, Cleveland's mentality of, we gotta win one, 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 is the wrong mentality for this sport. It's for football. It's not for the NBA. And they gotta let go of it. You know, we did win one. You got it, all right? And now Cleveland gets to say that they're a championship town. So shut up about it and now become a dynasty. Now become a dynasty. A team that for four, five, six seasons in a row gets three or four championships in that amount of time. And, and truly become something historically that everyone has to say your name when they talk about the sport. But no... No, they'll say LeBron and the fact that he played here. Okay, that's the best you have right now. But you're building a possibility of a historic team that will be remembered for the ages. And you want to win maybe one with that team? With the, with the man that's my age? <laughs> come on. Come on. That's the stupidest take you could ever make when looking at what this team could possibly achieve. And please go back and listen to what Altman said, what JB said at the beginning of the season, that they have time. They signed Allen to five years. There's still four years there. They've, they signed, they've signed everybody basically to four years to figure this out. And then they've got plenty of time to still make sure that the money fits to have another four years with this squad if if it works out. We could be the Warriors of the East, or you could win one. It just, when will they let go of that idea? Pelicans head coach Willie Green praised Evan Mobley after the recent Cavs home victory. He has incredible touch. He can catch the ball at seven feet and shoot over the top of defenses. He did that tonight once again. He's another guy on their team that's a major threat. Even though he's a young guy, he plays with poise. 
Will we see more offense run his way heading into the playoffs? I hope so. I think that Evan really has the potential to use the rest of this regular season to figure out where his spots are and where he can excel on the offensive side of the ball. We mentioned this all throughout the podcast, but if Rubio is back and can play the entire season, if Donovan and Darius stay healthy, and if Isaac comes along and Allen also stays healthy, all of that, if the rest of the Cavs team can be there for Evan, they can make sure that he understands everywhere that he needs to be and the offense should run through him more because he is such an intelligent player and he really needs to get more touches to embrace or allow that offense to grow. Evan Mobley is the best player this franchise has had, the most potential of any player that this franchise has had since LeBron was here. And what happened with LeBron? He started right away and became a phenom right away. That's not really happening with Evan, but at the same time, Evan plays a completely different position. He's not a point forward. And Evan is definitely more in tune with the defensive end of the floor more than in his skill set. So I think that if Evan can get the ball more on offense, that'll allow him to understand how he can dictate the offense on that side of the floor and what to do when he's in the post, when he's at the elbow and whatnot. And so, yeah, he should definitely be getting more touches and hopefully will will become more of an offensive stalwart come the playoffs. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs!